Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. There are a lot of people in our world today who think that because we follow a book, we follow a text, and it's an old book, they think that we're silly. It's out of date. Why would you follow just a book? And one that's that old and was written a long time ago in a different culture to different people and even a different language back then. Why why would you follow such a thing? How are we supposed to view this book that we've sung a couple songs about this morning. I appreciate the songs we've sung this morning so very much. Give me the Bible and wonderful words of life. But how are we to view that book? And we're living in a time where how we view anything that is supposed to be authoritative is being questioned a lot of ways. If you don't believe me, and don't worry, I'm not about to get political, but if you don't believe me, just over the last few weeks, think about what we saw play throughout the media and elsewhere concerning confirming a new Supreme Court justice. There are a lot of questions about that, but if you really think about most of what it boiled down to when we confirm a justice or any other judge or anything else in the last few years, all those questions basically boil down to one of two things. Do you believe that this Constitution is a set, fixed document, that you're supposed to read it with the intent that the framers, the writers intended, the syntax and the words and the grammar, or is it something that's malleable and changeable over time and we can make it mean whatever we want it to mean in the time in which we live? That's really all the questions boil down to. We can confirm justices and judges and so on and so forth over the last few years. But that same difference of opinion, that same difference of question, is often seen even as we think about the Bible. Is the Bible a book that's supposed to be fixed, that when it was done, that that's what God meant, what God said? Or is it something that can change with culture over time? We can make it mean whatever we want it to mean as times change and cultures cultures change and languages. Which one is it? And in reality, almost anything we think about as far as Scripture boils down to that question. How do we view Scripture? I hope you have your Bible this morning since we're going to be thinking about the Bible. And I hope you'll turn back this morning to that passage we read together a few moments ago, a very familiar passage found in Matthew chapter 4. And we're calling our lesson this morning, Jesus' view of Scripture. Now, we could go all over the place in the New Testament, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see things. Jesus said or that Jesus did that show us how he viewed Scripture. But I think just in this very famous account of the temptation of Jesus, as we often call it, in Matthew chapter 4, I think from that account we can understand how our Lord viewed Scripture. And if we can understand how he viewed Scripture, and if we want to be more like him, then should we not have the same view of Scripture that he had? There's a lot of things we could uncover from this passage this morning. What I want to do this morning is share with you five things. I know it's a lot, but I want to share with you five things. And I'll go ahead and tell you, we're going to spend a lot of time on the first point, and then the rest will be shorter, so don't worry when it takes us a few minutes to get through the first point. But I want us to see some things of how Jesus viewed Scripture, and then how we should as well. And the first is this, and it goes back to our introduction. Scripture is fixed. Scripture is fixed. 
You know, Jesus, of course, responded to each of those temptations of Satan by beginning with the same first three words as we have recorded for us. It is written. And sometimes we talk about that and how Jesus made sure he was pointing back to Scripture. We're going to get to that in just a few minutes. But that idea of it is written has the context, or the concept, I should say, of it is written and it stands written. And you think about the fact that what Jesus quotes in each of those quotations from the Old Testament are things from the book of Deuteronomy. And I point that out only to point out that a long time passed between when Deuteronomy was written down and when Jesus quoted those verses in what we know as Matthew 4 as well as Luke chapter 4. It was a different culture. Those sayings in Deuteronomy were for the children of Israel as they were preparing to enter the promised land. And here Jesus is, hundreds of years later, quoting them as if they were written just the day before. It was a different situation, entering the promised land versus now Jesus facing this temptation, these temptations, I should say, from Satan. Why would Jesus quote something that was hundreds of years old, that was written in a different culture, possibly a different language, written in Hebrew, and Jesus is probably speaking Greek or really Aramaic at this time, and a different set of circumstances, if he did not believe that Scripture was fixed. In other words, that when God said something, that's the way it was supposed to stand. It was supposed to be for all time, all culture, all situations. Think about the world in which we live and how many things, even in the religious world, people seem to try to change based upon saying that Scripture is not fixed. That we can change Scripture to fit however we want it to fit. Think about the times in which we live, for example, of having ladies preach or even be elders. Just this last week, I was reminded of that being an issue by some people I even know who were talking about that and calling for that in various places. And the reason, very simply, is they say that, well, the New Testament talks about that, but that was written to a male-dominated, patriarchal almost society. And so you had to make these small incremental changes, but now we've moved way beyond that. Just look around our, our world, our culture. We, we have ladies, very thankfully, who are in high levels of position. We've had them run for president, for vice president. We've had them CEOs of companies and so on and so forth. So the Bible needs to change to fit that modern context. That's the argument. Think about changes in sexuality. The acceptance of homosexuality, homosexual marriage, and and any other what are often called progressive views along those sorts of things. The New Testament talks about that very clearly. But what, what we're told is, well, what that was talking about was a very pagan, ritualistic sort of thing. And we've moved well beyond that. And all the Bible wants us to do is just love. And that's what really matters. And so we don't have to worry about the specifics of Scripture to fit our culture because that's not the times in which we live. Think about even things like adding mechanical instruments and music in our worship. There's not an appeal to Scripture because Scripture very clearly simply says that we are to sing. Sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Making the fruit of our lips, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. The calls are for, it'll bring in guests. It's what people expect when they come to a church, but I don't like the way it sounds without it, so on and so forth. But there is no appeal to, what does the text actually say? Jesus believed that Scripture was fixed. That when God spoke on a matter... That ended the matter. 
No matter what the cultural difference, the setting difference, the language difference, God spoke on the matter, and so that's all that really mattered. In John chapter 10 and verse 35, Jesus would later state that Scripture cannot be broken. I love the way he worded that. Scripture cannot be broken. And he means that in many different ways. You can't break it by culture. You can't break it by language. You can't bring it, break it by socioeconomic changes. Nothing can break Scripture. When the Scriptures speak to a matter, that settles the matter. Or at least it should. If we're going to believe that Scripture is fixed, like our Lord did. How does that play out in our everyday lives? Maybe you work with somebody or have someone in your family or someone in your neighborhood who you know, finds out where you go to church and they know a couple of things about the church of Christ, right? They know a couple of facts. And so you know what questions are coming, right? And so they ask you those things. You know, aren't you all the ones that don't have an instrument, right? Or sometimes they ask, don't you believe in music, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because you don't believe in music. That's kind of hard to do, not believe in music at all. But we know what they mean when they ask that. Don't you all, aren't you all the ones that, when you're asked that question, How do you respond? Sometimes we kind of soft shoe around it, don't we? We respond with things like, well, I just don't feel like it's right. Or we've just just never done it that way. Or that's just kind of the way we teach. Folks, we have got to appeal to what is fixed, and that is Scripture. My feelings about something may change. My, my thoughts about something may change. The way I, something touches my heart may change. But Scripture does not change. We have to appeal to what's fixed. For those of us who teach Bible classes, especially those who teach, I would say, you know, adult Bible classes, do we just have religious discussions? Or are we actually opening the Bible and seeing what it says? We've got to get the Bible back in our Bible classes. It's fine to use other literature, make sure we're you know, studying topically, and that, that's fine. But if all we're doing is just having some kind of religious discussion and never saying, what does the Scripture actually say, then what are we teaching our students? We're teaching our students it's okay just to have some kind of religious discussion without any set authority other than what I think about it, what you think about it, or how I feel about it, and how you feel about it, instead of there's something fixed here. Scripture has spoken on those matters, and I need to make certain that we speak where And we're silent where the Bible is silent. My Lord believed that the Scripture is fixed. And so where the Bible speaks, that's where we're going to speak. Because God's Word simply does not change. Jude verse 3 reminds us that the the faith was once for all delivered to the saints. It's done. And aren't you thankful it is? Now I told you that was the longest point, so don't worry. We've got four to go. I want also to point out to you from this text that Jesus believed... That Scripture is what sustains. Man shall not live by bread alone. And I love the old King James, don't you? But by every word that proceeds or proceedeth from the mouth of God. I love that. The English Standard Version simply says, which comes from the mouth of God. I love that Jesus quotes that response. And you recall, of course, it makes perfect sense, the first temptation that Satan lays before Jesus, because we're told in the text that Jesus had gone 40 days without eating and he was hungry. Sometimes I laugh at that little phrase. Of course he's hungry, but wouldn't it be interesting to think about that for a second? Because Jesus is God. Could he not miraculously make himself not hungry? I guess it's possible. But Matthew tells us he was hungry because he wants us to know that Jesus would experience those same 
feelings and physical problems that you and I would. You go 40 days out eating. Folks, if I go about 40 minutes out eating, I'm starting to think about, all right, what's for lunch, right? You go 40 hours out eating, you got problems. You go 40 days. He was hungry. And so the first temptation is turn these stones into bread, which would have been child's play for Jesus. That's easy for him. And it's interesting to me, of course, that in the Old Testament, God had provided bread for his people in the wilderness, manna, right? And where is Jesus where this, when this temptation happens? He's in the wilderness. And so it even kind of lines up almost logically or locationally where he might do this miracle. But you remember that Satan did not just say, turn these stones to bread. There was something before that, wasn't it? If you are the Son of God. In other words, if you want to prove that you're the Son of God, then perform this little miracle before me. But Jesus understood that what sustains us as people is more than just what takes care of our physical bodies. He did not just say, man lives by the word of God. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. That was, we have to eat. We have to take care of our physical body. In fact, we're supposed to take care of physical bodies because it is a gift from God, and we're to steward all the good things that God gives to us. But Jesus understood that we are more than just our physical selves. C.S. Lewis put it very well, we are not a body that has a soul, we are a soul that has a body. And Jesus understood that. We have to sustain that greatest part of us, the soul, by having the Word of God. The screens have John chapter 23 and verse 12. I don't know who made that screen, but I'm going to fire him. But it should say Job chapter 23 and verse 12. I made the screens, okay? Not being mad. It's Job chapter 23 and verse 12 where Job was answering his friends, his so-called friends, at the end of that verse, he said, I have desired the commandments of God more than even my food. That's a pretty powerful phrase, isn't it? Psalm 119 and verse 20, David said, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Sometimes I need to look in the mirror and ask myself, do I really feel that way about the Bible? That it sustains me? That I long for it more than even food? That I long for the rules of of God, that the ways of God? Can I ask you, if you go a day or two without drinking deeply from the Word of God, does it even bother you? If not, your soul may be starved. I had a great aunt who was in her older years, was living at home. and was, She was one of those ladies you couldn't keep not busy. She had to be doing something all the time. And I remember some people in our family getting, getting worried about her because she would work so much just around her house. She was tired and stuff, but she worked so much around her house and things that, that she would forget to eat. Now, I don't know what that's like, but she would forget to eat. And what really bothered them was she would get so hungry that then she stopped being hungry. Have you ever been there? Where you, maybe you weren't feeling well or something. You didn't eat, and after a while you thought, you know, I'm just not that hungry anymore. You go so long hungry that your body kind of gets used to it. Folks, the same thing can happen in our spiritual lives. We can go so long without drinking deeply from the Word of God, that it doesn't even bother us anymore. It's as if we don't need it anymore. And our soul has to be sustained by the Word of God. Do you have that longing in your soul for drinking deeply from it? I think in the third place, we can learn from this account that Scripture must be interpreted properly. One of the most interesting things about this whole exchange is that Satan quotes Scripture. Have you ever noticed that? I hope you have. He quotes from what we know as Psalm 91. 
And he quotes from it verbatim, word for word. Now, sometimes we think about Satan knowing Scripture enough to kind of twist it a little bit. For example, in the Garden of Eden, right? You shall not surely die, which is really close to what God said. You shall surely die. In the Hebrew language, by the way, it's not a word difference. It's a letter difference. There's one letter difference between what God said, you will surely die, and what Satan tempted Eve with, you will not surely die. And so sometimes we think of it that way. Well, Satan would know Scripture enough to add a word here, take it. That's not the case here. Satan quotes from Psalm 91 verbatim. It is word for word what Psalm 91 says. So why then does Jesus not just do this? Because that's what Scripture said. That's what the phrases in Psalm 91 say. And why would Jesus return with another Scripture on a different, what seems to be a different subject? It's because Psalm 91 has absolutely nothing to do with presumption. If you are the Son of God, do this. And then he quotes from Psalm 91. One writer said it perfectly. He said, Psalm 91, quote, was written to encourage faith, not to encourage presumption. That's the point. Satan knows enough Scripture to pull a few phrases out of context and make them mean whatever you want them to mean. And we can all do that from time to time. We can all take phrases and make them mean whatever we want them to mean if we're not careful. That's why in so many sermons you'll hear me say things like, let's look at the context, let's look at the context, let's look at the context. Context is key. How easy is it for us to maybe do our daily Bible reading or maybe just sitting somewhere and we see a Bible, we pick it up and we open it up and there's a verse or there's a phrase and we hear some people say it sometimes, that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to claim that verse. And that's fine. That's good to see those things and they encourage us. But what if it has absolutely nothing to do with what David or Moses or Paul or Peter or Jesus had in mind when they said it or wrote it? Folks, we have got to make sure we interpret Scripture properly. When David wrote the Psalms or when Moses wrote the law or when the, the prophet spoke or when Jesus spoke or when Paul or Peter or James, when these guys wrote these things, they had something in mind when they wrote those things. And it's so easy for us to see something and make an application for my life in 2017 without ever thinking about what did it mean to those people back then. But only when I understand what did it mean to the people then can I make the proper application to my life now. Need an example? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I hate to burst your bubble, but that verse has absolutely nothing to do with the Super Bowl. But isn't how that verse used? Every sports team, we're going to win today because I can do all things. That verse has nothing to do with blocking and tackling. I'm sorry. Paul was in prison. And Paul was writing about how I know what it's like to have a life of, of wealth and good things. And I know what it's like to have a life, of, a life of basically nothing. Being in prison, being without. Whether I have good things or whether I have bad things, I can do all things. Why? Because I have Christ. That's what he's talking about. So when do I quote-unquote claim that verse? When I'm going through a good time and when I'm going through a bad time. Not when I'm trying to hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth inning. You see, we must interpret Scripture the way it was meant to be interpreted. Jesus believed that. And we must believe that as well. And if we do, it will lead to a lot greater understanding of, our, of Scripture, but also a lot more faithful walk. May I speak to us who are Bible class teachers again very quickly? Maybe in our Bible classes we open up our, our Bibles, we read a psalm, we read a couple of verses... Teachers, and I'm talking to myself because I teach Bible classes Sunday and Wednesday as well. 
If the first follow-up question we ask is this, what does that verse mean to you? We have asked the wrong first follow-up question. The first follow-up question needs to be, what does this mean? Maybe better said, what did this mean? And then when we understand that, that's when a class can take life. Because then we see what it meant, and then we can make proper application for our homes, our lives, our marriages, our work situations, and on and on it goes. The first question needs to be, what does it say, what does it mean, and then what can it mean to you or to me? Scripture must be interpreted properly. Number four, quickly. I'd also suggest you we can learn from this context that Scripture is authoritative. And this may sound like the first point re- reiterated, and I don't want to spend very much time on this at all. But all I want to say on this point is this. Have you ever noticed that Jesus not only appealed to Scripture, He only appealed to Scripture. He only appealed to Scripture. I say that because that's very important. Jesus is called in John chapter 1. I forgot to put the reference on the screen. But you recall that John chapter 1 begins by calling Jesus the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything that has been made was made. And you recall verse 14 of John 1 is what helps us to see this really is Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the Word. The reason I say that is, and I don't really, really know a good way of wording this other than to say, could Jesus not have appealed to Himself? Could He not have made up some new standard right on the spot? After all, He is the Word come down from heaven. But he only appealed to Scripture. How many changes are made in the religious world because we appeal to Scripture and the Scripture and opinion polls? If we make this change, the community won't like it, so let's not make that change. If, if, we, if we do this, then our, our view, our standing won't, won't be as strong as it was. What does Scripture say? And folks, we're talking about where the Scriptures speak, actually speak. There are a lot of areas that deal with what we sometimes call matters of opinion. Sometimes you hear them call matters of expediency. Those things where Scripture doesn't speak specifically. For, for example, Scripture makes it very clear in the New Testament what we are to do when we come together to worship. Those five acts or five avenues of worship we sometimes call them. We sing, we pray, we study, we take the Lord's Supper, we, we give. The Bible speaks to the attitude with which, with, with, with which we worship. Never put three W's back to back. With which we worship, right? Spirit and in truth. With reverence to God. It speaks to that. Scripture speaks to the day on which we come together to worship. We come together on the Lord's Day. And the Scripture speaks to the fact that we come together to worship. It's a corporate thing. Sometimes that's called. But Scripture doesn't speak as to the location. So here we are tonight. Here we are this morning here. And tonight we're going to be in a pavilion. Is that wrong? No. Because we're doing the avenues of worship on His day and hopefully with the right attitude or the right reverence. It doesn't say what time on the Lord's Day. There are still many places in the world that quite literally cannot have a Sunday morning worship service because Sunday is not still recognized as kind of a a common day off of work. And so a lot of places in the world have either very early services on Sunday morning or very late in the evening, even late at night. But they're still meeting on the Lord's Day. Those things are matters of expediency. But where the Lord's Word speaks, where the Bible speaks, it is authoritative. Our thoughts on a matter where Scripture speaks start and end 
with the Bible. It is authoritative. And number five, Scripture helps us to defeat temptation. And I suppose this is the ultimate takeaway from this text that we usually make. How can we face and how can we defeat temptation is not in our own willpower. It is only through the power of the Word of God and having it in our lives. Two verses from Psalm 119. Verse 9, the psalmist said, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Psalm 119 and verse 11, the same poem, I have stored up or treasured up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Listen, when Jesus faced these temptations, he didn't have to go ask somebody their opinion on what the Bible taught about the matter. He already had the Word of God in his heart. When you and I face temptations, and I'm saying this in my own life, quite often when I, when I fall to those temptations, it's because I didn't have the Word of God stored away in my heart the way I should have. I wasn't preparing myself ahead of time for when those temptations would come. I need to be drinking deeply from the Word of God because I know temptations are going to come into my life. It's going to happen. How can I face those things? By knowing what is right and what is wrong according to Scripture. Remember what Paul said? I believe it's Romans chapter 7. I wouldn't have even known what it was to covet if the law had not said, Thou shalt not covet. This is Paul. And Paul was basically saying, I wouldn't have known what that even meant or that that was wrong unless the Bible said, Thou shalt not do it. There are things that as we grow and mature in our faith, as we study from the Word of God, that we didn't really understand were truly righteous or truly wrong simply because we're growing and maturing. But we're going to be faced with temptation in those things. How can we face them? By knowing Scripture. I love how this account ends, don't you? Don't you love when Jesus just looks at Satan and basically says, get out of here? I know it's a paraphrase. That's basically what he says. Be gone. Get out of here. And it reminds of what James says. Draw near unto God and he'll draw near to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But I do think it's significant that Jesus said those words to Satan after he had given us a proper view of the Bible. Then he was ready to tell Satan to be gone. James N. Gray wrote these words. Where childhood needs a standard... Or youth a beacon light, where sorrows sigh for comfort, or weakness longs for might, bring forth the Holy Bible. The Bible, there it stands, resolving all life's problems and meeting its demands. Though sophistry can see what the Bible, there it stands. Though Pharisees profane it, its influence expands. It fills the world with fragrance, whose sweetness never cloys. It lifts our eyes to heaven, it heightens human joys. Despised and torn in pieces by infidels decried, with thunderbolts of hatred, the haughty cynic's pride. All these have railed against it in this and other lands, yet dynasties have fallen, and still the Bible stands. To paradise a highway, the Bible, there it stands, its promises unfailing, nor grievous its commands. It points man to his Savior, the lover of his soul. Salvation is its watchword, and eternity is its goal. My Lord believed that Scripture is fixed, that it must be followed, that it is authoritative, and that it will stand. My question simply is, do you really believe that?
Do you really believe that when Scripture says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, that that's what it meant and what it means? If so, why won't you do that? Do you really believe that when Jesus said, be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life, do you really believe that? Are you living that way? Faithful no matter what comes into life because I want that crown of life one day. Are you living that way? If you believe that the Bible is truly a fixed standard, then folks, you will believe and be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And for those of us who are Christians, if we really believe the Bible is our standard and a fixed standard, we will never shy away from what it teaches, no matter what the culture might say, no matter what our friends might say, no matter what our family might say, because the Bible is God's Word. And He is above all. This morning, do you need to come to Him? Do you need to return to Him? Whatever your need is, we invite you to come. We stand and sing this morning.